0: And uh, we're going to be talking today about the mission of the church, uh, and it's twofold. Now we're going to read the verses commonly referred to as the Great Commission. We're going to follow that throughout Scripture. We're going to see uh, exactly why we come together. Why do we do this? And specifically, uh, what what are we supposed to be doing when we come together? Are we just supposed to sing? Are we just supposed to learn? Um, some churches are almost entirely evangelistic. They're not necessarily interested too, too much in digging into scripture, and finding out. So what does God want for us to do together as Christians? And so when it comes to international compassion, we studied the international compassion of Christ. And now we're going to see um, God's heart in reaching the world. And that is twofold. The great command and the Great Commission. And we will explain and learn what these things are in the mission of the church. Okay, so let's look at Matthew 28 and verse number 18 says, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, And of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would bless the preaching of your word. Lord, I pray that you would instruct us, guide us into your plan for us as Christians, your plan for us as a church. I pray that you would speak to our hearts. Lord, I pray that we would be willing to obey you in this matter. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to see that you are worthy of obeying and that when we obey you, we find our true calling and our true purpose in life. God, we love you. Thank you for your goodness and mercy and grace. Jesus name, amen. There was a lot of fear. And a lot of confusion when Jesus was crucified and when he rose from the dead. Um, When we look in our passage, if we look at verse number 11, look at chapter 28 and verse number 11. Jesus had risen from the dead. Okay, this is when we typically celebrate uh, Easter. And that's in verse number one. Uh, and so Jesus is alive, and he's showing himself, and he's going around, and he's teaching, he's gathering the disciples. But it says in verse 11 Now, when they were going, behold, some of the watch came into the city and showed unto the chief priest all the things that were done. And when they were assembled with the elders and had taken counsel, they gave large, large money unto the soldiers, saying, Say ye, his disciples came by night and stole him away while we slept. Now, this is the cover up story. Again. When we think about politics, you know, one of, one of the reasons why we read the Bible, one of the practical benefits of reading the Bible is we really get to study human nature. Human nature has not changed. <laughs> okay. Uh, we mentioned earlier in the first session, uh, in the 10 o'clock session, about um, David Bathsheba and his cover-up. Guys, here's another cover-up. Okay. Uh, not to get into politics. Politics is not my thing. I don't discuss politics from the pulpit. Uh, It's divisive and opinions vary. But I think that's important for us to realize, to to carry a little bit of wisdom with whatever news source we listen to, because you're not getting 100% of whatever story about whatever topic you're talking about. They're always going to pitch it in such a way to make themselves look good. Well, How do you know that? Well, because... Throughout scripture, we can see that it gives the whole story about even the resurrection of Christ. Okay? The, Jesus died on the cross. That, that is a fact. He was all the way dead. Okay? They, 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 not, only, not only was he crucified and he died on the cross, they also pierced his heart with a spear, with a lance. Okay? Out came blood and water. Uh, and he was buried for three days. And then he came alive again. He was resurrected, and not only that, he showed himself alive. Well, the government had—they've got to have some kind of cover-up going on. So it talks about the cover-up. They paid the guards, they paid the soldiers money to say no. His disciples came, and uh, and they stole his body away. Okay, but Jesus is alive. Jesus is showing himself around, and he is proving that he is who he said he was. Okay, that he is God's Son, that He can, that we can believe in Him for salvation, and that His, his uh, that, that, that the way that He teaches is the true and living way. But I want you to see here um, that this together is called the gospel. And we'll we're gonna continue with the story in Matthew 28 in just a moment. But I want us to see in 1 Corinthians 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 1, Paul says, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. Now we are saved by believing the gospel. It's not just an intellectual belief. It is an experience. The Bible calls it being born again. The truth is, will have an effect on you so that you begin to place your, you place your faith and trust for salvation in the person of Jesus Christ. This is, the, this is the way that we live life every single day. We receive information on our phone, and sometimes it changes the way that we behave. Okay, We get a text message from somebody. And we're like, oh, my goodness, I forgot this, or they need me. And you believe the message without having seen them. And so then you change your direction. Isn't that what we do? Okay. Uh, How many of you ride TTC? Hands. Yeah, buddy. Okay. Or we're driving on the road. Delays and detours. And on the TTC, you'll get a notification. Or maybe somebody will tell you, say, hey, there's a delay, there's a repair. There's a, they broke, they broke, it broke down or there's a fire on the subway or whatever is going on. And you hear the message. You haven't actually seen the fire. You just have heard the message and you believe the message, right? And so because you believe the message, it results in a change. That's what happens when we hear the gospel. The gospel means good news, right? The good news of what, what is the gospel? Why are Christians here? Why, when we trust Christ as Savior, are we not immediately taken up into heaven, right? Um, Because we're here to spread the good news. What's the good news? And it tells us here, okay, he received, he says, I declare unto you the gospel. I'm going to tell you what the message is, the basic message of Christianity. This is what it means to be a Christian. Verse three, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which also I received, how that Christ died for our sins. It's not just that he died. He died for our sins. Amen. Okay. He died for our sins. According to the scriptures, many old Testament scriptures talk about and prophesy of him dying on the cross verse four and that he was buried and that he rose again the third day, according to the scriptures and verse five, it says, and that he was seen of Cephas then of the 12, after that, he was seen of above 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present, but some are fallen asleep. Now, fallen asleep is just kind of the old English way of saying that they had already passed, right? They're already dead. Okay, now again, this is Paul that is repeating. This is this is the earliest creed of the church. This is just kind of, it's kind of in a nice little rhythmic, right? It's a nice little thing that you can kind of, uh, that, that, that uh, again, many people didn't write or read back then necessarily. And so they they the message spread by 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 coming up with just kind of this short, precise message that was passed along. And that's called the creed. And people would hear that and they would and, and they would believe that. Right. And 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 so this was within just a couple of years after Christ Uh, died on the cross that this was being passed around. And this is what Paul had heard. This is what he believed. And this is also what was preached. So listen, if anybody's telling you in any of these schools or anybody's trying to tell you something that Christianity came, well, you know, uh, Jesus was just a really good teacher and people came up with the idea that he was a God, maybe several hundred years afterwards. That's not true. Okay. And this scripture proves it. If you really dig down deep, and that's not the purpose of the sermon, but if you dig down deep into these particular passages, this was written within just a few years of Christ having died and risen from the dead. Just a few years. And notice also the Apostle Paul is saying this. He was seen of Cephas, meaning Peter, the Apostle Peter. Verse 6, after that he was seen of about 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain unto this present. What does that mean? They're still alive. Now, if you're going to make something up, he's naming the people, not naming precisely, but he's saying, hey, there's 500 people out there that saw Jesus alive. So if you're doubting what I'm telling you, he's giving people the opportunity to check. Amen. Okay. he's not—he's uh, Look, God, when we hear the message of Christ, it is not something where people are trying to Uh, spread a lie it's not a fable it's not a fairy tale it is the very truth Christ was God's son the eternal son of God who died on the cross for our sin he was buried amen he rose again according to the scriptures prophesied hundreds of years and listen and he was seen it's one thing for the tomb to be empty because here's the thing The lies, the cover-up could have potentially been true. Just because the tomb was empty doesn't necessarily mean he rose from the dead. Right? Amen. But here's the problem. You're trying to cover it up. Meanwhile, Jesus is out there talking to people. It's hard to cover that up. There is no, listen, if someone chooses not to believe the gospel, they are willfully ignorant. The Bible says in, 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 in Revelation 21, verse number eight, but the fearful and the unbelieving. There are people who that just the, the smallest amount of the gospel, the smallest amount of the word of God coming to them. No, no, I'm afraid. I don't, I, I, I don't want to believe that because it's going to change my life. I'm choosing not to believe it. But that doesn't make it not true. It is true. It is absolutely true. But I want you to see the effect it had on the disciples in Matthew 28. They saw him. They saw him die. They saw him put into the ground and buried. They saw him. They were speaking to him. Okay. A lot of things had happened between verse number um, 16. We're going to pick it up there. A lot of things happened. 40 days of proof happened from verse number 16 until the time that um, Christ went up into heaven. Verse 16 says, then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee. Now, why is it 11 and not 12? Because Judas Iscariot had betrayed Jesus and he had gone out and killed himself. So now it's the 11, right? Okay. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee into a mountain where Jesus had appointed them. He said, hey guys, meet me, meet me here on this mountain. Now I want you to see Verse 17. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. When they saw him, they worshiped him. And I love that God included. I love the Bible because it is so relatable. This is not a book where that is so high and so mighty that nobody can attain unto it. That we don't even have a chance of finding ourselves in the pages. Where it's just a bunch of stories about perfect people. Aren't you thankful that it's not a bunch of stories about perfect people who never mess up, they never make mistakes, okay? Now, I'm, I'm gonna find myself in the pages here in just a moment, and I think maybe you're gonna find yourself in these pages here in just a moment as well. It says, some worshiped, that's us, worshiping, that's what we did a moment ago. By the way, that's what we're doing now when we're listening to the preaching as well. This is a part of the worship. But then it said, and some doubted. They're looking at his face. <laughs> They're looking at the wounds in his hands and the, and, the, and, and the side like he's standing there talking to them. And they still doubted. Aren't you thankful? Why? Because it's by faith, guys. It's not by sight. We walk by faith and not by sight. You will never come to the point in your Christian life where it no longer, faith is no longer required. It required faith even when Jesus was standing there right in front of them. And even though they're worshiping and they're, they're still doubting a bit, some of them were anyway. In that mixture, in that fear, in that doubt, in that confusion, in the midst of a cover-up, <laughs> Right? Man, look at all this drama going on here. Jesus comes and he gives them this. Right after the doubt, Jesus comes and says in verse 18, And Jesus came and spake unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Guys, don't worry about the government. Don't worry about the cover-up. Okay, I've got something really important I'm going to tell you to do here. We're not going to worry about the drama and I'm going to ask you to do something here, even for those of you who are kind of doubting right now, and those, and, 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 and those who are worshiping and doubting and maybe a mixture of worship and doubt, and all of the drama that's going on in the world, we need to understand, first of all, all power is given unto Jesus. So when he's telling us to do this, it means it can be done, okay? All power is given unto him. The power is not given to the government. The power is given to him. He is the one that's really in control. And then he gives them their marching orders. That's what the word commission means, really. Okay? The word commission means this is the job that I, that, I'm, that I am tasking you with. Now, this is the church. These are the apostles. This is not an individual thing. Okay? It's, yes, each Christian should be a witness of Christ for sure, but the great commission is given to the church. So this is something that we do together. It's not something that we are individually responsible for completing on our own. We're, we are responsible for being attached to a church and to collectively, together, we seek to obey Christ with this commission. Okay? And what did he tell them to do? So in verse number 18, he's, he's talking about the authority. Right? He's like, I've got the authority to tell you this. And I've got the power to help you do this. Okay, that is so important. God has the power and the authority to help you be what you need to be and to help you be the Christian that you need to be and to help us be the church that we need to be. Guys, by by the way, let's let's take comfort in the fact he's only talking to 11 here, okay? And our church is small in number and that's fine. And some days we have 30, 35. Other days we have less than a dozen and that's fine, okay? We're just gonna follow the Lord. We're gonna be committed to this. Jesus did not wait until his church was 80, 100, 120, 5,000 before he said, okay, guys, I want you guys to do this. He started out with just a couple of people that were worshiping and doubting. Is that us? Because my hand's up. That's me. If we're honest, that's me. It's just just a couple of us and we're, we're trying to worship him. But let's be honest. There's some doubt involved in that. And God's like, you know what? I'm okay with that. <laughs> You're here. <laughs> and, and so I'm okay with the doubt. I'm, I'm, isn't, isn't that a blessing? I, I, I find that so comforting. What does he tell them in verse 19? Go. Go ye therefore and teach all nations. We'll break this down in just a moment. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Teaching them to observe all things. Whatsoever I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. Amen. He gives here the great commission. He tells us to proclaim the gospel, to identify with him in baptism and church membership, to make disciples around the world is what he's telling us to do. Now, this is a big job. He says in verse 19, go ye therefore. Now, this is the command to go out. What is the job of the Christian? The Christian is not just to come and learn, which that's the teaching them to observe all things. We'll get to that in just a moment. The job of the church. Okay? The job of the church is to preach the gospel. Now, you say, what about the other part on the slide? The great command and the great commission. Where's the great command part? Now, we notice here where it says in verse number um, where it says in verse number 17 And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now, let's go over to another verse um, where it says in. Let's go to the passage in Mark chapter 12. These two things go together. This is really talking about the worship of God. So worship. okay, worshiping him, the great commandment. This is in Mark chapter 12 the great command and the great commission. These two things go together. Mark chapter 12. Now this is found in several places in the new Testament, but we'll just look at one of these places. Mark chapter 12 and verse 28. And one of the scribes came, having heard them reasoning together and perceiving that he had answered them. Well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? That's a good question. God, if there was just one commandment that you wanted me to do, I mean, if we could break it down to just one thing, what do you really want me to do? That's a good question, I think. Now we've got to understand, this is the heart. Okay, this is the heart. And then later he gives the marching orders. And that's the great commission. Go and do this. But first I want you to have the heart of what? What? OK, he says, verse 29, and Jesus answered him. The first of all the commandments is here, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and with all thy soul and with all thy mind and with all thy strength. This is the first commandment. And the second is like, namely this. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. There is none other commandment greater than these. To love God is the great commandment. To love God, that is our heart. That is the heart that God wants us to have. That's the heart that God wants us to have for this church. It's Listen, people can come to church and it can be an act of self-love. It can be an act of self-love. It's all about them. I want to come to have my problems fixed. I want this primarily to be a self-help uh, session. Now, does God help us when we come to church? Oh, absolutely. There's, I mean, there, there, there is no physician like the great physician He heals our heart and he heals our emotions and he heals uh, 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 um, our faith and he builds us up into being the person that only he can make us to be. Okay, but God doesn't want it to be a selfish act in coming to church. He wants it to be about him. Like the disciples on the mountain, he wants us to worship him. He wants us to love him. We cannot divorce we cannot divorce Christianity from the person of God. God is at the heartbeat of, the, of, of your Christian life. It's not just learning rules. It's not just learning tricks. It's not just learning. Uh, I was listening to somebody on YouTube and they mentioned and they're talking about another topic and they just mentioned something about meditation. What is meditation? As the world talks about it. As unbelievers talk about it. As the secular world talks about it. Meditation comes from Hinduism and Buddhism. Primarily Buddhism. Okay. And it's a religious act. And they're talking about emptying your mind. Okay. And that's kind of the simplistic version of it. This guy was talking about meditation. About kind of going into this this place that you can imagine. And just kind of visualizing things. And... And breathing, and there's all these things, but here's the thing: it's like it, its just you doing that, guys. Can I? Can I? Can Can I warn us today? We need to be very careful about us being the center of our religious experience, because when we're talking about the Great Commission the first question that most people are going to think about is, what does that do for me? How does that help me? And we need to understand it's not about you. And it's not about me either. It's about him. Worship is only worship when God is the center of it. If I'm really at the center of it and it's about me getting my needs met Whenever my needs are met, I leave. Church becomes like a restaurant. I go when I'm hungry and then when I'm full, I leave. And we will see this, guys, as this church continues to go forward in the years ahead. People primarily will begin to come because they perceive a need in their life and that is okay. God is here to love us. God is here to help us. God is here to heal us. God is here to help us find incredible purpose. But we get to the point where now we are okay. We're healthy. We're doing doing fairly good. And we don't feel the need as much anymore. And so then we leave. And what ends up happening is Christianity primarily becomes about us. When I feel the need, I come to church. When I don't feel the need, I don't. When I feel the need, I pray. When I don't, I don't. And it becomes all about me instead of God. Really, this is about you. It's about me loving you. It's about me recognizing who you are. It's about me looking at who you are and worshiping you. We are either engaged in God worship or self-worship. It is one or the other. Primarily, people do not generally go out and leave Christianity and go off to another religion or they fall down and worship some other type of God or goddess. Generally, that's not the truth. Usually what happens is we completely miss out on Mark chapter number 12. We miss out on the great command. Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart And with all thy mind, we've got to ask ourselves, is he my God? Now we know he's the God, but isn't it interesting here how it's worded? Thou shalt love the Lord thy God. We're not going to worship him if we don't take him as our God. I am here to worship my God. I've accepted him as my God. It's not my parents' religion. It's not my parents' God. Isn't it interesting that in the Old Testament, it describes it as the God of Abraham and the God of Isaac and the God of Jacob. You see, because they wouldn't have followed him if he hadn't actually become their God, regardless of what their parents had done. Let me just ask you this question. Have you done that for yourself? Is he your God? Have you said, no, no, this is not, this whole life, this whole experience is not about me. It's about you. You are my God. You're my God. You're the one in charge. You are my Lord. You are my leader. You are my boss. You're the one that I worship. You're the one that I fall down to. You're the one whose qualities I look at and I am amazed by them. And oftentimes, if it is not God, society teaches us that we should do that about ourselves. Society teaches us that one of the ways to achieve mental health is to love yourself. Self-love. Self-love, self-talk. And meditation really is nothing else but self-love. You're not trying to communicate with God. You're not trying to communicate to a spiritual deity at all. You're just simply trying to rejuvenate yourself. You realize that God's name in Hebrew is Yahweh, Jehovah. You know what Jehovah means? The self-existent one. And Buddhism, when it comes from uh, meditation, when it comes from Buddhism, Buddha is not the God that they worship. They don't worship him as God. They follow his teachings to try to achieve what Buddha achieved. And what is it that he's teaching them to achieve? Look into yourself. Follow the Eightfold Path of Wisdom, is the way that they word it. And look into yourself. Meditate. Fast. Practice these areas of self discipline. Avoid these sins. Go to temple. Pray the rosary because Buddhists have rosary just like the Catholics have rosary in some aspects of Buddhism. There's different types of Buddhism, but some of them do that. But it's all about self-healing. And yet God says, I'm the self-existent one, not you. You do not exist by yourself. You cannot heal yourself through meditation. Hello, this is good preaching right here. Man, I'm loving this. This is good stuff. Man, I'm, I'm fired up. Heal yourself, the world tells us. You go to the bookstore and what's it all about? The worship section is this big and the self-help section is huge. And they write new books every year, self-help. And yet God says in his word, I am the God that healeth thee. And oftentimes we don't get the great commission right because we don't get the great commandment right. We're never going to get to the part where we care about people over in China like the video we just showed. We're never going to get to the part where we're willing to part with some of our money in order to support the gospel mission overseas and in other countries. We're never going to get to that part if it's about me. It's not about Pastor Corey building a big church. It's not about you trying to heal yourself with Christian principles. It's about God having God's rightful place in our life. And when I come to God as the self-existent one, he's the self-existent one and I'm coming to him, then I'm looking to him as, God, you don't need anything. You don't need me. You don't need my money. You don't need my heart. You exist outside. God didn't create humanity because he needed us. He didn't need us. He had angels to worship him. Angels can worship him way better than we can. He made us because he wanted to. He made us because he loves us. And he chooses to love us. We've got to make sure that Christianity is not an experience that we try to craft where we are the center. If I, listen, if I take the Bible and I only follow certain parts of it, the parts that I like, or the parts that help me, and I'm only willing to follow that, and I never really come to God and I genuinely say, God, whatever you want. I'll follow whatever you want. If I do that and I'm willing to cut out parts of Scripture and not follow certain parts, I'm the God. God is serving me, He's here for me, He's here to help me. It's like going to a hospital. And the doctor with all of their years and years and years of study and practice. Extremely intelligent people. Way smarter than me. They would even say, Pastor, you're not supposed to say way smarter because that's not correct English. Yeah, they would know that. Very intelligent people. And yet when I show up to the hospital, it's like, okay... I need you to apply all of your expertise to fix me. And then when I'm fixed, I'm done. God, bye, thanks. And yes, that's what it's for. And yes, they want to do that. But our relationship with God is more than just coming to get fixed. It's more than just coming to try to learn a new spiritual technique. When we come to Christ, we come because we're broken. We realize we have a need. But then we realize that we have been bought with a price. He has saved me. He has changed me. And because I am healed from my sin and because he's helped me, then I say, you are my God. And he becomes my leader, the leader of my life, my guide, my instructor. And I wonder maybe there's somebody here today that needs to do that. Because here's the thing. If you following the Lord is always dependent upon you having a need, it won't last very long. We read this verse early in the, in the other service, but let me read it again. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 19. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own? For ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He has bought us with a price. He's bought us with his own precious blood. And we are here to worship him. Let me just make a few comments on Matthew 28. We'll dig into this a little bit deeper next week. God is the, is the center. God is the center of Christianity. We are here to love him. We are here to worship him. We are here to give him his rightful place. And because of that, we can then have this job in verse 19 and 20 where it says, go ye therefore and teach all nations, make disciples of all people. That's what it's talking about. To make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost, teaching them to observe all things. So making disciples. Again, the intention is to preach the gospel so that someone becomes a follower of Christ. That's when you know that somebody trusts Christ as their savior. It's not just a flippant little prayer where they pray in order to get saved. They're actually saying, I am trusting you as my savior. And they're coming with that heart intention. Now everybody grows on a different trajectory, but ultimately what Jesus is teaching us here is people need to get saved with the intention of becoming a disciple. Make disciples. You say, well, Why did he say it this particular way? Now, he says, he says in other places, go into all the world and teach the gospel to every creature. But he's saying the intention of the church is to preach the good news of Jesus Christ with the intention of somebody becoming a follower. That is what we're called to do. That is what the job of the church is. And after they trust Christ as their savior, they're to be baptized in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Baptism means they are identifying with Christ. Um, and so when you trust Christ as your savior, you're then to identify with him. And then in verse 20, teaching them to observe all things. So then you are there to learn. If you're gonna be a disciple, you have to be willing to learn. You have to be willing to take those lessons and, and, and come to church as, as, as often as possible so that we can become Uh, a disciple of Christ. But again, all of that fails if on that first point, we've completely missed it. We're not going to go if I don't recognize him as God. We're not going to seek to make disciples if I don't recognize him as God. We're not going to baptize and have people identify with him if I don't recognize him as God. And we're not going to teach to observe all things because some of these things, may they may not be necessarily as uh, easy to do as other things. We're not going to teach to observe all things if I don't recognize him as God. Everybody bow your heads, please, and close your eyes.